One of the things I love about uh, living in New England is that it's a sports town. Now, Cincinnati is a sports town, but you guys are like really good at what you do. Uh, but I won't talk about the 70s and the big red machine, all right, because I want to make it out to my car alive. Uh, but there is, there is nothing more, there it is. Oh, I got it. There's nothing more uh, difficult than watching an athlete, a rising athlete, succumb to injuries and his or her career is cut short. Uh, I, f- I discovered, thanks to the Google, uh, I discovered Tony C., a slugger for the Boston Red Sox way back in like the 50s and 60s. Uh, before this guy, was, or by the time he turned 20, he had 32 home runs. By the time he turned 22, he had about 104 home runs, okay? Uh, but in the 60s, I believe it was 1967, he stood up to the plate like he normally does, but he caught a fastball to the eye and never really recovered. He, he came back for a little bit, but he just wasn't the same. Uh, I re- also ran across an article from the NCAA about collegiate athletes who prepare their whole life to play at a really high level in the hopes to go pro and, and how they process when they pull a hamstring or break a bone or, or something happens where they, they could still play, but they're not going to be, uh, they won't play at an elite uh, uh, level. And I hate to say this, but like their stock or their value goes down, right? It, it's really hard to work towards something, is it not? And then to have that dream crushed. I think one of the most difficult things, if I can just be honest, which why would I be anything else other than honest, is following Jesus and dealing with disappointment, right? Some of you have wanted a family for a really long time and you're struggling with infertility. Some of you want to be thinner and the weight just won't come off. Some of you had, had, had better dreams for your kids and they're addicts. And uh, you don't know if you should change your locks because if they come home, they might steal from you. It's really hard <clears throat> to live the Christian life and think that everything is going to be awesome, because at least that's what YouTube and social media tells you when you follow Jesus, but you have to deal with shattered dreams. It's really hard, isn't it? And that, that, that's when a lot of people, if the Christian faith was a highway, that's where they would off-ramp. And for some of the stuff that people go through, I don't know if I can blame them that much. Larry Crabb is an author who a lot, like Ruth Haley Barton, which I talked about her a lot, recommend all of her books. Same with Larry Crabb. He writes in the field of spiritual formation. And he actually has a book called Shattered Dreams. And in the book, he says, through the pain of shattered lower dreams, we wake up to the realization that we want an encounter with God more than we want the blessings of life. And that begins a revolution in our lives. Now, that's easy to read. That's actually hard to believe because what he is proposing is pretty much a revolutionary idea that no matter how broken your dreams are, if what he's saying is telling the truth is that if God leaves you, then you're in utter despair, right? Like like it's one thing to have a preferred future and it ends in shattered dreams. It's another thing to have a preferred future and shattered dreams, and nobody is there to walk alongside you. Not even God himself, right? Because when we're born, one of the needs that every child needs, and even as an adult, one of the things that makes an adult a healthy adult, which is why you actually, if I could be forceful, need to be in a life group, is this idea of attachment. That a baby needs to be attached to 
his or her mother, right? And so they put the child on the mother's chest so that the baby can form a relationship with the mom and the mom form the relationship with the child and begin the attachment process. That's why for us as adults, it's so important, even though adulting is hard, it's so important to find adult friends. And so what I think he's proposing is this idea is how much more difficult would it be to have a preferred future end in a shattered dream and no one or no God to attach yourself to that he would say, it's going to be okay. This is not the end of the road for you. You are not the sum total of your greatest mistake or your biggest, as you might perceive it, shattered dream. A few weeks ago, we started the the final section of Mark, right? And so we're calling this section the way to the kingdom, okay? And this is not for us as Jesus followers. We covered that in weeks one through four, the way in. The way to the kingdom is, do you actually believe that God has a dream for your friends? And if you believe that God has a dream for your friends, let's talk about Jesus' ways to live, and so a few weeks ago, we talked about one of the ways that you can allow your friends to know that, there's, that they are invited in, that there is a seat for him, them here. Literally, there are empty seats right now. So you have a friend that's sleeping in, and you're like, yeah, I know I'm jealous, right? That's sleeping in, that's not here, that needs to be here, that doesn't know that God has a dream for them, <clears throat> that doesn't know that God has a seat at the table for them. And so we talked about the ways in which we can do that, which you know, without yelling at people and ending up on YouTube, is that we can be hospitable. We can serve them. And today we're going to talk about another way that we can let people know that they're invited in, is that we talk about the way to generosity. Now, when we think about the word generosity, we think in terms of money. That's part of it, but that's definitely not all of it, right? You know people that are not very generous with their relationships, It's really hard to get a meeting with them. It's really hard to have families over for dinner. And that's not the Jesus way. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are are heading south to Jerusalem in Mark chapter 10, which is where we're going to be at. If you have your Bibles or Google or uh, you'd like to look at the screen, we we got you covered here at RCC. Uh, Jesus is heading south. He's leaving Capernaum. He's leaving the Sea of Galilee, and he's heading to Jerusalem. And so if you're not familiar with the Gospels, Uh, if you're not familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jerusalem should be a red flag because the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the sooner his imminent death, I don't know if that's a word, is going to happen. He's going to be crucified. And so this conversation that Jesus is going to have with this rich young ruler about generosity happens as he's walking or heading to Jerusalem. So in Mark 10, 17 through 20, Mark records this conversation. As Jesus started on his way, so leaving Galilee, Capernaum, heading to Jerusalem, a man ran up to him, which is interesting because in the first century, nobody runs. Can I get an amen, right? Nobody runs. (laughs) It's undignified, especially for a man to run, right? Think think the prodigal son, how the father runs to the, the son. It's undignified for a man to run. He fell on his knees before him, even more undignified. That's the language we get for proskuneo, where someone prostrates himself face to the ground, nose is being tickled by the dirt that is getting up in there. It's our English word we get, one of them, for worship. So he falls on his face. He says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? How do I get into heaven? Common question people ask today, too. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. What confidence, right? I've been a good little boy my whole life. Do I get to go to heaven? The way to generosity comes from our identity. You see, this guy built his whole life for himself and for other people, okay? And in this conversation, you're going to see a preferred future turn into a shattered dream. Now, this guy was a good dude. We know that from the Gospels, he was respected in the community, he was respectful of God, and he was teachable. So this is a guy you want to, lead in, you want to be or lead your life group. Right? This guy could probably be an elder at a church one day. He can definitely pour some coffee on a serving team for sure. He's a nice, good, moral boy that your daughter should marry. And Jesus says, or he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what's happening. Okay? He's asking two questions. Who is Jesus and how do I become a Christian? Like two really good questions to ask. And if you're exploring your faith, these are two great questions to ask. To which Jesus says, who is Jesus, no one is good but God alone. Wait, time out. Wait a minute. Does does Jesus know who who he is? Remember like six, seven months ago, we did a series where we talked about through the Gospel of John, all of the I am statements. And I pretty, like I remember that one Sunday where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So is Jesus here denying his divinity when he says, why are you calling me good, man? There's only one God that's good. Here's what he's saying. There is a pool of goodness that belongs to God. I share in that pool of goodness with the Father. This is a a pool of goodness and a conversation of human ethics that you will never touch because it only, be, it only belongs to people that have lived perfect lives. Do you, do, you know, do you know who you're talking to? I've lived a good life, Jesus. You should let me in. If you don't relate to that, here's what you can relate to. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone that said, unless, maybe they didn't say it like verbatim, but unless you do these things, I'm going to restrict my love. Right? We call that abuse. We call that overpowering. Happens all the time in marriages. Usually the dominant partner. Doesn't always mean it's the man. Sometimes it's the, the woman or the wife. And we see this in parenting. And when you grow up in very violent homes, and by violent, I mean you didn't get straight A's. What does God think about that? Do you think God would be happy if you cheated on your test? It happens in homes where we are subtly taught religion and not the gospel. And so we, 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 in the back of our brains, this is why counselors are so beautiful and needed in our Christian development, we think, unless I behave well, God won't love me. Because unless I behave a certain way in my relationships, God won't love me. 
Like, unless if I have sex with this guy, he's not going to ask me out on a second date. All right? No? Just me? Okay. Unless I, unless I do this or that, which, by the way, is a form of prostitution, men. If you pay for a girl, uh, if you pay for a lady's dinner and expect something in return at night, that's not a date. That is prostitution. You're te- right? We're, te- we're teaching her, you're only worthy of my love unless you give me something. Jesus, I obeyed all 613 commandments. Where's my sticker? And Jesus says, my love for you is not based on your goodness. Jesus says, the Father's love is based on my ability to be good. So stop being a type A driven person and sit down and shut up and let me be perfect on your behalf. Some of you need to hear that that directly because you're being too religious. Jesus shares in God's goodness. And the reason why the rich young ruler's identity is so important right here is because his ident- Jesus is trying to un- unravel the onion here that is his identity. His identity is in the stuff that he's built in his life. Is it wrong to be rich? No. Is it wrong to, be, uh, to, to have a great return? No, it's not. As long as your identity is not in those things, but it's in Jesus. And you know that it's not uh, in those things when they're taken away from you, right? And this is what is happening to the rich young ruler, right? Jesus is shattering. He's shattering his preferred future because as wealthy as he is, he's somewhere between the age of 18 and 23. Young dude, entrepreneur, right? 2019, he probably built the next best, coolest app. Like, this guy's a millionaire, and he can't even rent a car yet. And Jesus is talking about, where is your identity coming from? Secondly, he asks, how do I become a Christian? And Jesus says, obey all the rules. And you're like, what? Obey all the rules. See, this guy is so religious, and when you're religious, two things happen, right? Uh, over-religious leads you to arrogance of pride, look how awesome I am, or despair. I'm a terrible person. I'm not good enough. Maybe I can get get myself uh, together for Tuesday and be a good person. And it's this hamster wheel, right? This is why your friends aren't here. This is why they're not at church, because if they did go to church, chances are in our part of the country, they went to a church that said, sit up, Stand down, shut up, take this, go home, see it around the holidays. It wasn't meaningful to them. It was a bunch of do's and do's and don'ts and this and that. And so this guy is leading, having this conversation with Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I'm a good dude like you are. Can I enter the kingdom of heaven? You, you, you want to know who else was arrogant? It's Paul. He, he, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he says this, As for zeal, as for passion, I persecuted the church because, theology moment, Jews do not believe in a trinity. So if a dude says he's God, he's got, he's got beef with that. So people that believe Jesus was God, I would go kill them. As for righteousness, as for morality, right? As we're, as we're think about last week in the lifeboat theory, as we're judging people, he says, based on the law, all 613 commandments, I am faultless. I am perfect. And this is Paul before he has a relationship with Jesus. Here's the deal, guys. Morality is not a sign that God favors you or God likes you. 
Jesus is a sign that God favors you and that God likes you. Being a good person, doing good things, has nothing to do with the fact if God loves you or not. And if you don't believe that, may I submit to you, it's probably because you've been to an overly religious church that says unless you do these things, unless you give a certain amount of money in a certain rhythm, God's not going to bless you. And that's not the gospel. That's religion. And religion's from hell because it does a good job of keeping people feeling isolated, scared, vulnerable, and not living the kind of life that Jesus invites us to, which is what? Eternal life. Life to the fullest. So people that are good or do moral things, it's not an indication that God loves you. Jesus living the perfect life on your behalf is the reason why God loves you. Not because you're awesome. You're not. I'm not. It's because Jesus is awesome in your place for your sins. Secondly, the way to generosity is is in our trust. The conversation continues in verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's important. Here you got a young guy, stinking wealthy, is trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, and Jesus doesn't hate him. He's not criticizing him. He loves him because you got this young guy, probably, Jesus is probably in his early to mid-30s right now. This guy's 10 years behind him, and he sees this kid, right, like fresh out of college. He's making six-figure income. He's investing it well. He's a millionaire before he can rent a car. Jesus is like, he loves this guy. He has compassion because he knows he's trying to work out his faith. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, it's got to be an awkward moment, right? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said, children... He's calling grown men children, right? God wants us to not be childish, but childlike. We talked about that last weekend. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in the first century, a generous man or a generous woman was considered to be generous if they would give 20% of their income. I won't go there, but I'll just let that lie, right? Like, that, that's crazy. And yet Jesus is like, forget that rule, give 100%. Because that's why the, <clears throat> the disciples are so flustered. They're like, Jesus, like, man, you're doing 80 in a residential. Pump the brakes, dude. Like 20% is like, that's the limit. What kind of rabbi are you? Mm. Jesus is the kind of rabbi that wants all of us unapologetically. It's not, see, I thought this sermon uh, a week and a half ago was about money. It's about identity. Jesus is not interested in the amount. He's interested in the identity. Where, where are we putting our trust, right? In, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, uh, Moses writes these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all of your strength. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, your strength was a sign of your wealth. It was a sign of your income. It, it was a sign of how much land and cattle you owned. And so what Jesus is saying subtly, as all good rabbis do, rabbis never directly answer you. That's why Jesus is so frustrating. They answer around the question you're asking. And so what he's trying to get this young guy to consider is this. You're loving me 
you're trying to love me in your own strength. You're trying to build a life where I'm not involved in. Like, you don't want eternal life. You just want me to pat you on the back and say, keep going. And what was the guy's response? His face fell. You know, the only other time someone's face fell, according to like what I was reading in the New Testament, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the same language. In Luke twenty-two forty-four, Luke says, and being in anguish, which is the exact emotional moment that this rich young ruler was feeling. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly in his thought, felt so overwhelmed, felt even, yes, as God, but also man, out of control of the situation. This is exactly what the rich young ruler is feeling and thinking right now. Jesus took my preferred future and he crushed it and he shattered my dreams. Because his identity was in his stuff and not in Jesus. And see, this isn't a sermon about money, it's about identity, it's about it's a sermon about trust. The difference between the rich young ruler and Jesus is trust. The reason why Jesus goes to the cross, and, and you could have the view, well, Jesus is God, he's going to go to the cross anyways. Yeah, but I'm kind of a big, and that's fine, that's fine. I'm kind of a big deal on free will. Like, I think Jesus could have woken up and said, you know what, I'm not doing that. you got to be kidding me. But he didn't. He was faithful. And that's one of the marks of the, the Messiah. Someone has to be willing to go to the cross. And, and Jesus is praying prayers. God, I don't want this to happen, right? You've prayed these prayers in the hospital, in the NICU, the ICU. The e- We've prayed these prayers, these Jesus-suffering kinds of prayers. I don't want to go through this, but if this is what you're inviting me into, I will step into it because I trust you. That- <laughs> That takes a lot of faith to get there. And by faith, I mean not squeezing your eyes and going, I need to have more faith. No, no, no. Your faith does not save you. Your ability to be faithful does not save you. What saves you is the object of your faith. I didn't think English mattered until I started praying or uh, preaching or praying. The object of our faith is Jesus, not religion, not church attendance, not reading the Bible, not giving, not whatever you think it means to be a good Christian. It's solely based on, is Jesus telling the truth? Did he live a perfect life? And did he go on the cross, to the cross on my behalf? And did he rise again three days later? That's it. That's it. And I hope that causes you to take a deep breath and go, Jesus took the hook for me. Notice what Paul says in his writings after he becomes a Christian. I've been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I am murdering myself to the tree. And so you might see me as Ben, but I hope you see Jesus living in me. And I hope you see the identity and the spirit of the living God forming me so that I can grow in strength of my trust. So if Jesus is inviting me to give more money from my income, who am I to say no? If Jesus is inviting me to go to the next steps baptism class, because he knows that, I'm, that I need to cross that line, I need to take my faith publicly, who am I, who am I to say 
Who am I to say no? If Jesus had invited me to uh, join a serving team or invite a family member, or a coworker, a neighbor to RCC so that they might hear what I think is the most important thing, most important message in all of the history of humanity, who am I to keep my mouth shut or to keep my thumbs from texting my friends? Because I, I, don't, I don't functionally exist anymore. And that's not, listen to me, that is not a self-deprecating comment, Right? which you get a lot of that sometimes in preaching, like, oh, I'm not that good. No, 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 no. That's the opposite of arrogance, right? When we're constantly putting ourselves down, that's the, op- like, that's the, the uh, I don't want to go there, but that's the opposite side of pride, where we're not boastful, but we're just quite like, ah, nah, nah, nah. you know what I'm saying? Man. Um, number three, the way to generosity uh, is in our giving. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who can be saved? <laughs> if that guy doesn't get in, we're in trouble, right? Man, that guy's given like 200, I don't know, he's making like 350 a year and giving 30,000 or whatever to the church. Like he, he votes the right way and says the right things. He's got a great, nice comb over, looks real nice. Like if that guy can't get in, we're in trouble. And <laughs> Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, it is. The, the feet to heaven and eternal, it's impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. So like, I kind of think, this is a side, side comment, like Christians should be the most creative people, like especially with art and music and film. Then Peter spoke up, of course, because Peter always speaks up. We have left everything to follow you. Like, Jesus, are you somehow lying here? <laughs> right? Truly I tell you, no one, Jesus replied, no one who has left home, this is so important, or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, the eternal life that this guy wants. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The way to generosity is in our giving. In the first century, the camel was the largest animal in Palestine, and the needle was the smallest opening for common use, which led the disciples to ask, who in the world can be saved if that guy can't be saved, right? Well, the truth of the matter is that salvation is a gift, it's something that can't be earned. I mean, it, it can be earned uh, because Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. He's the one that earned it for us. It's a perfect gift. Jesus is the gift. And he's not only a gift, he's, he's supposed to be, over time, I think, to be our treasure, where our affections are actually growing stronger towards him. Our trust is actually like growing stronger towards him. And so Jesus is no longer... A, a theological religious idea, but he's actually someone that gets decision rights in our finances, in our parenting, um, in, in our dating, in our marriage, like all aspects, we see Jesus as a way to do life, not somebody that we put on a shelf with a big old bobblehead that we worship on Sundays and then just kind of leave, right, through the rest of the week. That's why I want to say again one more time for the people in the back, <laughs> Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ, right? I no longer live, 
Christ lives in me. And so the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Basically, Paul is saying, I am putting all of my chips in on this idea that Jesus told the truth. He is God. He tells the truth about us and humanity, whether or not we are willing to receive it or not. He goes to the cross, rises three days later. And so I'm putting all of my faith in the object of my faith, that Jesus did what he said he would do, that he didn't lie about it. And so I'm putting my whole faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, our identity is not in keeping rules, funding our retirements, mistaking happiness for blessings. Our identity is in Jesus. Everything else will leave us overwhelmed and have shattered dreams. And so maybe that, that, that's a gift for you, like it could have been for the, for the, uh, the rich young ruler. Because here you, you have a God that's willing to walk you through those shattered dreams. And that, that maybe the idea is a lie, this American dream, that we can build this nice, safe, quiet life for ourselves and somehow out of, somehow out of our own morality and our ability to, to do well will get us into heaven. And, and Jesus is saying the way, the, way, the way to the kingdom <laughs> is for my followers to live generous lives, to have their identity submitted in Jesus to have their trust submitted in Jesus. And from that, their giving is submitted in Jesus. The way to the kingdom is for a church, a group of men and women, students and adults, that are willing to live generous lives, one conversation at a time. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for this conversation that you had with the rich young ruler. Uh, I, I hope that he uh, thought about it and had a yard sale a week later. Uh, but to be honest with you, we are in the same position as the rich young ruler. Sure, it might not be money, it might not be finances, but there are things that we tie our identity to you that, that if you were to take those things away, it would utterly crush us. Would you do that, Jesus? Would you crush us if our identity is not in you? Would you bring us to a point where we know that you love us and we know that, that, that we want to trust you? And that would you, would you bring us to a point, and this is a very dangerous prayer, but would you bring us to a point that we play to our weaknesses and we find community to walk, for folks to walk alongside of us? Lord, we thank you that you lived a generous life that you could have walked away from the cross at any point. You could have said, I'm done. People aren't worth it. They're so fickle. They're so broken. I'm just going to go back to heaven. You didn't. You were faithful to the cross. And may we be that faithful to our friends. May we be that generous to our friends so that they would know that there's a seat waiting for them at the, at the table. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>